Thank you, Tim and team. I can't think of a better way to start off our time this morning. I'm, I'm always so grateful for this time that we can sing together and, and lift our praises to the Lord. So thank you. Okay, here we are. Good morning. I love seeing everybody here this morning. It makes me very happy. My name is Elena Zemke, and I'm really glad to be up here in front of you today, continuing our series in 1 John, which James has been calling Not Your Typical Dear John Letter. Um, I'm really glad to be able to fill in for James while he's preaching in Colville at our Free Methodist Church up there today. And that's better. Not quite so echoey. When James asked me to preach this morning, um, and he told me what text I would be preaching on, I got really excited because this is one of my favorite passages in scripture. I love it. I frequently find myself reading it to my patients uh, in my work as a chaplain, and um, so I, I got really pumped. I was, I was really excited. It worked out perfectly. Uh, so this morning, as, as Tim mentioned, I'm going to be talking about 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. So if you want to pull that up in your Bibles or on your devices. And uh, thank you, Jeremy, for reading that earlier. I appreciate that. And I started, I started as soon as he told me, like, reading it every day, reading it, reading it, reading it. I wanted to, like, soak it in. And then about two weeks ago, I started working on an outline. And I came up with some notes about what I thought the main point of the passage was, and I had some questions I was going to ask, and then I thought, maybe I should just check with James and see what direction he's going in the weeks leading up, just so that, you know, we're kind of simpatico. So I gave him a, sent him a text, and he was very kind. He sent me a copy of the sermon that he was going to be preaching for the coming week, and I read it. And then I took my notes, and I crumpled them up, and I threw them in the trash. It was okay. Uh, it wasn't that what I had written was bad. It was that I felt like it was too similar to what he was going to be preaching uh, when he came up here two weeks ago and preached on 1 John 3, 10 through 24. Now, as a side note... I expressed my concern about the similarities to James, and he said, oh, don't worry. Most of the people won't remember what I preached about two weeks ago anyway, <laughs> so just go ahead. And I want to say that I have more faith in you than that. And so <laughs> I had to come up with a, see if I could find a different direction. Uh, but there was a good, a good reason for my sense of deja vu that I had as I was uh, putting things together, and the reason is that some of the things, many of the things that John said to his audience in chapter 3, he repeated in chapter 4. So if I say things that uh, stir up that same sense of deja vu in you, it's because you have heard it before. <laughs> John's message about loving one another was so nice, he said it twice. In fact, he said it more than twice. John specifically talks about loving other believers 14 times in these five chapters of the book of 1 John. 
Now, you've probably heard in the past that if something in Scripture is repeated, that means that the author thinks it's really important and he wants you to pay attention. So what does it tell you if he repeats it 14 times? Clearly, it's a message worth repeating, and if it's worth repeating, I guess it's worth listening to more than once also. So bear with me as we delve into today's passage. I hope that hearing some repetition will make it all the more memorable. Now, as we begin, I want you to think back to that sentence that James asked us to complete at the beginning of the sermon two weeks ago. And here's the test of if you really do remember. He wanted us to fill in the statement, love is blank. And we came up with some pretty good ideas. I remember something about laundry, and um, I personally had something to say about letting my daughter drive me to church. Uh, love, Love is lots of things, but what we came down to is that love is more about action than just about words or feelings. We show others we love them by what we do, not just what we say. Now, in this section of Scripture, John continues to talk about love and about this idea that we ought to love one another, but he does something else that I think is really important for us to pay attention to. He talks about the source of our love and about the expectations of how that love should affect us. Now, before we go too much further, I want to just point out that like the rest of this book, there's a lot going on in these 15 verses. I mean, a lot. And if I were to follow every thread and chase every squirrel, we might be here for a while. So I'm not going to do that. I, I don't think you would uh, come out the better for it at the end. <laughs> and I, I just think we can, we can focus in a little bit instead of trying to preach many sermons this morning. But I confess that I did struggle to narrow it down. But ultimately, what I kept coming back to was this statement that John, or John makes at the beginning of the passage in verse 7, which is this. Love comes from God. John makes it clear that God is the source of all love, and without him, love does not exist. Think about that for a second. If there were no God, there could be no love. I count four different times just in this passage where John makes statements that add up to basically that same thing. This idea that God is the source, he's the example, he's the initiator of love in the world. In verse 7, he says, love comes from God. Verse 10, John says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Verse 16, he says, God is love. And in verse 19, John says, we love because he loved us first. Now, I'm going to take a brief pause to talk a little bit about love. This is something that uh, in our culture we think we know a lot about. We say we have a lot of movies about love. We've got a lot of different ideas. But I want to give you just a, a quick refresher on some of the different words that were available in the Greek language at the time that this was written to talk about love. And each of these describes a different kind of love. 
so first you've got eros, which is romantic love. And this is a word that is not used at all in the New Testament. And then there's phileo, which is the kind of love that is shared between close friends, sometimes called brotherly love. You think of the, the city of Philadelphia as the city of brotherly love, and that comes from that word phileo. The third Greek word that gets translated as love is storge, and this is the natural love that we feel for our family members. And this word isn't really found much in the New Testament either. But finally, there's agape, and this word is used throughout 1 John, throughout most of the New Testament, actually. And it's the kind of love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13. James read this for us a couple of weeks ago. Love is patient, love is kind, on and on. It's the kind of love that Jesus called his followers to show both to their neighbors and to their enemies, and us too. It's that charitable, kind, selfless love. It's the kind of love that John says comes from God. And that he, want, he says God wants believers to show to one another. John tells us that we should love each other because when we do, it shows that we have been born of God, that we are his children, and that we know God. Now, I take this to mean that our love for one another is both the evidence of and the result of God's love in our lives and in our relationship with him. Now, the flip side of that is, as John says, that anyone who does not have this agape kind of love for one another must not know God. John takes time in this passage to remind us of the strongest proof of God's love for us. And it's that incredible, amazing fact that Jesus came into the world as a human being to die for us that God's love for his creation was so great that he was willing to sacrifice himself for us. Remember John 3.16? Tim read it before. Say it with me now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John wrote that. And then he basically quotes himself again in this passage in verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Hallelujah. John is not the only New Testament author to make this connection between God's love and the work of Christ. Um, Paul also says it a few different ways in different times. And here's a, a perfect example from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sound familiar? Now, I probably have the legal system on the brain because I just spent the last couple of weeks on jury duty. But the more I read this passage, 
the more it reminded me of a courtroom scene. Now, who doesn't love a good courtroom drama? I know I do. But I'm just picturing St. John Esquire in his best robe and sandals, standing before the jury of his peers, trying to get them to agree to the conclusion that believers ought to love one another. There's a whole host of reasons, he says, and a mountain of evidence to convince you that God loves you and wants you to love one another. So let's take a look at some of the evidence that John presents. Exhibit A. Do we have Exhibit A available? There it is. 1 John 4, verse 12. John's sworn affidavit stating that if Christians love one another, then God lives in us and his love is made complete or perfected in us. Exhibit B. We have the evidence of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The testimony of eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus was sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world. Exhibit C. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is evidence in our lives that God lives in us and we in him. Exhibit D. We have the confidence on the day of judgment because we are little Christs in the world. John says, in this world, we are like Jesus. Exhibit E, we are not afraid. Perfect love, John says, drives out fear. There's no fear in love. John concludes his arguments by saying that we love because God loves us first. And he renews this command that anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So, members of the jury, does that convince you? Is this argument strong enough? Can you say beyond a reasonable doubt that love comes from God? And because of that love, we should love one another? I'm convinced. But maybe you're having a little bit of trouble believing in that basic concept that God loves you. Maybe you're thinking, sure, God loves the world, but he couldn't really love me. Now, I would venture to say that, that many of us in this room don't have too much trouble believing that God loves us because we have experience being loved. We have at least one person, maybe a family member, maybe a, a close friend, whom we can say confidently, that this person loves me. When we hear that God loves us, it's believable because we have a track record of being loved, and therefore we know that we are lovable. We have concrete proof of our lovability in the love that we receive from others. However, I would wager that there are people listening to this message either in the room today or online who really struggle to accept that God loves them. The heartbreaking truth is that there are far too many people in the world who go through their entire lives feeling both unloved and unlovable. 
Maybe they come from broken or abusive homes. Maybe they've had a string of unhealthy relationships or have been told that they aren't worthy of love. Maybe they feel invisible or alone. And for these people, being told that God is love and that love comes from God, that might not mean very much. Think of someone who's been hurt by the people who were supposed to love them. Someone who experiences abuse or pain or neglect from someone who is supposed to or who even claims to love them. They might have difficulty recognizing and accepting this real, healthy, unconditional love. I imagine that someone with these kinds of experiences, they might have a different reaction than you or I to being told that God loves them. But here's the thing. If you don't yet know what that real agape love is, what it feels like, you're worried that you aren't capable of either receiving it or giving it to others, that's okay. Remember the fill in the blank from a couple weeks ago? The love that we give and receive from others isn't just or even primarily a feeling, it's an action. Loving others is a choice that we make every day. And we are able to make that choice because of God's love for us. When we're in relationship with God, his love flows into us and then through us to the people around us. So next time you're in a situation where you're struggling to love another believer, and we've all been there, remember that even if it's hard to feel it, you can show it. And if you show that God lives in you and his love is in you by loving others, then that's all that John wants. That's all that he's asking is that acceptance of God's love and the outpouring of it to other people, even if you don't always feel it. John said it all in verse 7. Love comes from God. It all starts with him. He loved us first, and it's because of God that love exists at all. Now, to make this lesson a little more tangible, I'm going to ask Tim to come up and play for a few minutes. And during that time, I want you to have some quiet reflection. I would like you to ask the Lord to bring to your mind another believer that you have struggled to love. Maybe this is easy for you. Someone pops right in there. Maybe you have to sit for a minute and that's okay. But once you have that, that name, that person in mind, I invite you to ask the Lord to help you to love that person better. It might be helpful to grab a piece of paper and write down their name or a phrase that reminds you of them and put it somewhere where you're going to see it often. And then when you see it, take a moment to come before the Father, to thank him for his love for you and to ask him to help you to love better.
but to put that, keep that with you. Spend some time in quiet prayer and reflection. And then in a few minutes, I'm going to pray for us and we'll sing one more song together. Father, you know that we struggle. We struggle sometimes to accept your love for us. We struggle to believe that you could love us in all of our brokenness. And we struggle to take that love and to put it into practice with the people around us. And Lord, you know that. You know that and you love us still despite our struggles so Lord today we come before you and we we confess our struggle, we confess the difficulty that we have at times to share your love with the people around us and we ask for you for your help we ask for such an outpouring of your love in our lives that we can't help but to spill it over into the people around us, even those that we really struggle to love. Lord, I thank you in advance because I know that you are faithful and I know that your love for us is so great and that you want us to share that love with each other. So I just thank you. I thank you for your power that enables us, for your Holy Spirit that lives in us, for your word that reminds us of your truth. Lord, be with us and help us to, each time we are reminded of that one person that it's hard for us to love, 
help us to love them more. We trust that you will. And we thank you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please stand as we sing one.